Welcome to Once Upon a Disney, an analytical yet fun-loving look at Disney narrative filmography from the 20th century. I'm Andy Redwine, and with me as always is someone who always makes me glad, Larry Brenner. How are you, Larry? I'm doing great, Andy. I was going to say I'm doing glad, but you beat me to it. Uh, (laughs) So today we are tackling Pollyanna from 1960. From 1960, Uh, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I have to tell you, I was concerned that maybe this had not aged well. I loved it. I really like this movie, too. It is a little long um, by Disney live-action standards, um, but I think it's definitely watchable. Um, I I really enjoyed it. Oh, good, good, good. Yeah. So do you have any key facts for us on this one, Andy? I have lots of key facts. Oh, um, goody. So I'm glad. Oh, so, so am I. I'm so glad. Um, So Walt Disney had this habit of watching films to see how actors performed in them in order to see how they best might be cast in his pictures. And he was watching a British movie called Tiger Bay. And it was, it starred John Mills uh, as a detective. And he was looking for the father in Swiss Family Robinson. And of course, he was watching Mills' performance. But while he was watching the movie, he noticed this. Well, the story Tiger Bay is about a young orphan who witnesses a brutal murder, uh, picks up the murder weapon after the scene and keeps and spends all this time throwing the detective off the scent uh, as part of her trauma, part just, of processing her trauma. I just want to interrupt here. If what you're yes. about to tell me is that movie somehow turns into Pollyanna, uh, my head is going to explode. <laughs> No, but I will say that he was really (laughs) struck by John's. So Haley Mills plays that young orphan and Walt was really struck by her performance. So he invites the Mills family to Disneyland. He personally acts as their tour guide. Can you imagine that? And in in my dreams, that would be amazing. Right. And not only did he sign John to be the father in Swiss Family Robinson, he signed Haley to a contract And she, of course, performs in six live-action films for Disney Studios. There are actually several other Parent Trap movies. There's like Parent Trap. Yes, there's like Parent Trap 2 and Parent Trap 3 and Parent Trap. Like, it's weird. There's a lot of Parent Trap. Parent Trap goes to Hawaii, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those all. And she's in those too, but as an adult. I guess she's doing a lot of catch and release so she can (laughs) trap the parents again and again. Sometimes no. you got to throw the parents back. They're not big enough. <laughs> no idea. No <laughs> idea. Um, so, but like most Disney films of the period, this movie is an adaptation of a book. Uh, Pollyanna was published in 1913 by American author Eleanor Porter. And there were 11 sequels <laughs> to this movie published, as, or sorry, the, this book published as well. Wow. So millions of copies sold worldwide, multiple languages. Everybody knows about Pollyanna. There had been a theater production called Pollyanna made in 1917, which starred another Disney legend when she was a young girl, Helen Hayes. Uh, And in 1920, Mary Pickford plays the title role on the silent screen. So Pollyanna has already entered into the American vernacular as a person who is consistently positive. Uh, The YWCA, which is the Young Women's Christian Organization, had Pollyanna clubs There were Pollyanna gift exchanges that were really popular in ladies' organizations, which was kind of like a white elephant gift exchange or a Yankee swap or whatever. Mm -hmm. But instead, all of the items were actually useful that people would actually want. Um, So Pollyanna was written and directed by David Swift. David Swift started his career at the Walt Disney Studio as an office boy and became assistant animator under Walt K- Ward Kimball. After his service in World War II, David Swift started writing for radio and television, and Pollyanna is his first feature film, which he writes and directs. Wow. So in writing Pollyanna, Swift looks over the source material, and he said, and I love this quote, he said, in the book, Pollyanna was so filled with happiness and light that I wanted to kick her. <laughs> what? <laughs> so instead of making her the glad girl that the book had, right? 
We've simmered her cheerfulness down to merely emphasize the things could be worse attitude. And in order to work against what he called the saccharine nature of the movie, he would work on a horror play for a couple of hours before picking up the Pollyanna script. I don't know how to handle any of that. I can't I can't imagine a world in which you don't love Pollyanna as you're writing her. That that should not happen. It shouldn't happen. Uh, that's like okay. that's like writing for Sesame Street and then being like, and then every night I watch Nightmare on Elm Street. You don't. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm upset. It's okay. It's okay. So the movie's set in New England, but it was shot in Santa Rosa, California and in Napa Valley. The interiors of the church are from an actual church and Aunt Polly's home was built in 1870. And at the time of shooting belonged to Mrs. Juilliard McDonald, who was a descendant of the family who started the Juilliard School of Music in New York. Uh, the top part of the house actually didn't exist. Uh, that's a matte painting that they superimposed on the house to make it look even taller and bigger. Um, there are two Oscar winners in this cast. We have Jane Wyman, who is Aunt Polly, who won Best Actress for her role in Johnny Belinda, and Carl Malden as Reverend Ford, who won Best Supporting Actor for A Streetcar Named Desire. Oh, and and so great. So great in this. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I love Carl Malton. Um, Pollyanna is one of the longest movies Disney ever produced, and it was an absolute flop at the box office. So they made just under $4 million on a $6 million budget. And when he was asked why it was an underperformer, Disney said... I think the picture would have done better with a different title. Girls and women went to it, but men tended to stay away because it sounded sweet and sticky. Uh, Originally, Walt wanted to call the movie The Glad Game, but he was convinced to go in a different direction with the well-known book, and I think he regretted that. You know, but in today's world, if it's based on an IP as this is, it's going to be called Pollyanna. So, you know, maybe that wasn't the right decision for then. But it, now it would oh, be the sure. right decision. Oh yeah, yeah. And and I have to tell I have to tell Walt, you know, like I don't know that calling it the Glad Game was going to make the men and boys go. Now I understand it's a masculine <laughs> rough and tumble movie with action. I'm coming. Uh, maybe a third option. Maybe a third option. <laughs> the girl who fell from the tree. Spoilers. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Okay, or the girl who climbed trees. Right. Something. Um, And the Pollyanna principle is also known as positivity bias, where a person remembers pleasant things more accurately than unpleasant ones. Uh, People, as they age, tend to have a more positive bias when thinking of the past. It's how we get nostalgia. But we still talk about people being Pollyannas. Yes. Even today. Yeah. Even sometimes podcast hosts. Even podcast hosts. Might refer to themselves as Pollyannas. (laughs) Uh, So let's get into the movie. Imagine that. Uh, Let's get into the movie. Uh, Mm -hmm. We we start, as we always do, with the Manish Tana. And this movie opens up, and I think it's telling that it opens, not on Pollyanna. Instead, it opens on this town where Mm -hmm. we see prominently, as we travel through the town, a boy playing with a hoop and a stick. And obviously, he's going to pass several places in this town, but he is the thread linking us through this, uh, you might be forgiven for thinking this boy is going to be Pollyanna, but he is not. Right. Um, Why does the movie begin in this way? Why do we start not on her, but on him? Well, I had lots of thoughts about this. At first, I, I really struggled with figuring out who the protagonist of Pollyanna was. As you know, I mean, we talked about this pre-production a little bit. Yes. And about... I don't know, an hour ago, it hit me like a brick that this movie is a classic Western setup. This I, is I a agree with this. Ranger yes. comes to town trope. You have the town, there's something wrong with it, and here comes the stranger. And I think that's why it's set up the way it is, Larry, because we have kind of this little kid who has a little playful side, but everybody else in this town is clearly very straight-laced, and in pops Pollyanna. Yeah. 
I would I would agree with you. Um, what we're looking at is we're looking at this town because this town is going to go through tremendous change. That mm-hmm. it's we might not recognize it as we're watching it, but we're looking to see something a force act upon this town. The right. force that's going to act upon this town is Pollyanna. She's going to disrupt everything uh, in the best possible way, mm-hmm. uh, which also made it a little difficult to identify exactly what the inciting incident is mm-hmm. because most of the exposition of this movie takes place possibly simultaneously to the inciting incident of this movie. Uh, right. The thing that changes the town forever is Pollyanna enters it. If Pollyanna is our protagonist, as I believe that she is, um, and I'm not going to say her name is on the marquee because sometimes the name of the character on the marquee is not the protagonist, but I think, but I mean, she is, but she's also not just the protagonist, she's the inciting incident. Everything she does is going to change this town forever. Right. Um, so we could so so I think the inciting incident is Pollyanna comes to town, That's which it. is yep. which is unique in the positioning of all of the movies that we've that we've ever done, with one exception. And and I just want to call out the one exception. The one exception is when we covered the first five episodes of DuckTales, mm-hmm. because in fact the inciting incident of DuckTales is the boys come to live with their rich uncle are put in an attic so that they won't make too much noise he doesn't Mm -hmm. really want them there he doesn't want them talking about how rich he is i absolutely believe that the first episode of ducktales is a tribute uh an homage to pollyanna 100 percent um and anyway i i don't know that anyone's ever connected these two things before (laughs) <laughs> Only on maybe, this podcast. <laughs> maybe I'll write a scholarly paper, DuckTales and Pollyanna, how how nieces and nephews can can soften the heart of their of their uncles and aunts. I love it. Now, Moving but this, forward. This, well, this yeah, but this movie really is that classic Western setup, right? Yes. Um, uh, it, it, the town has something wrong with it. They're set in their ways. The stranger comes to town. The stranger either decides to fix the problem with the town or move on. Uh, in our case, you know, Pollyanna showing everyone the glad game. The results of the fix don't work. There's a midpoint of the movie that involves the protagonist making the right choice to help, which is Pollyanna. If we're saying Pollyanna's the protagonist, uh, eventually the protagonist takes on City Hall, right? Yeah. The main source of the conflict. Uh if it's the sheriff, right? The sheriff takes on city hall or the powers that be or whatever. Um, the people become inspired by the stranger Pollyanna to change things. The place changes. The stranger leaves. Right. I um, I agree with all of that. She's that self-appointed sheriff too. She is the white yes. hat who comes in and says, "Hey guys, I'm the sheriff now. Um, what are you going to do?" There are three types of characters in Pollyanna. There's Pollyanna. There's the people who know they're unhappy. And then there are the people who don't know that they are unhappy. Right. And that is it. Everyone in this, everyone in this town is unhappy. Some Mm -hmm. of them know it. Some of them don't. But here comes Sheriff Pollyanna, and she's going to rescue them from that. Right. Um, I I love that. I I, I love that. As uh, the sheriff comes to unrest despair. Uh, It's a hope versus despair movie, for Mm -hmm. sure. Uh, so moving us through the plot, again, this is not going to be a typical plot because as she goes through the town, she's having a series of interactions with various people in the town um, and slowly, slowly imparting her way of life upon them, her philosophy on them more than her way of life. So the main thread, if we're going to pick one of these and say this is the big one, is is the conflict between Pollyanna and her Aunt Polly. Mm-hmm. Uh, Aunt Polly is not living joyfully. Uh, she's living, feeling a lot of responsibility. Uh, she is very concerned about um, preserving her family legacy uh, and, and controlling the rest of the town, not in like a power-hungry way, I would say, but in a in a stern parental way 
where where she feels like if she li gives up any of the control she has over the town, uh, they will ruin themselves. Well, there's also this idea of, of noblesse oblige, right? Right. Like she's the aristocracy. Right, right. And as such, she has a responsibility to take care of everyone. And I think when we talk about theme, we can talk about that a little more. But yeah, for sure. Oh, no, I, I completely agree with that. Um, so that's that is the major relationship involved in this is is the young doctor who was once in a relationship with Aunt Polly and has come to hopefully rekindle it. There is a conflict going on between Aunt Polly and the mayor of the town over uh -huh. over the orphanage. Um, Aunt Polly wants to keep the orphanage in the historic house that that her father set up and the mayor rightly proclaims that what is actually needed is a brand new orphanage. Um, and and so that's a conflict. Uh, and over the course, she has minor conflicts with a number of characters, including, including one of her neighbors who has a reputation for locking children and rats in the basement that is... <laughs> Com a complete fiction, but it, it's something that you get the sense that he's encouraged in order to isolate himself from the rest of the town. Right. Uh, with Mrs. Snow, who is on her self-proclaimed deathbed uh, and everyone considers to be the most miserable woman in town, not miserable in the sense that like she, her life is hopeless, miserable in the sense that she makes everyone around her miserable. Right, right. And the reverend, who is, I, when I when I say in the pocket, I don't mean financially, and I don't need, I don't. Uh, maybe mean, financially. Well, I mean, I don't mean in a bribe sense, though. I, but but he is very heavily influenced by Aunt Polly. We can certainly say that into giving fire and brimstone speeches every Sunday. Well, which, I think it's understood that you know churches are kept together, especially Protestant churches are kept together by tithes and such. And so she's probably the biggest benefactor of that church. And so he keeps her happy. I think that's sort of a subtext, but I, yeah. I, I saw his, her control on him a little more subtle that mm -hmm. she was probably the one who got him the job in the first place. Right. Uh, and brought him to town. And if she whipped public opinion against him would be the one who, who sent him packing, but it amounts to the same thing one way or another her money allows control over him. Mm -hmm. um, and one by one in this movie, Pollyanna wins over the various people in the town to her ideas of positivity, being grateful, being glad. Um, which, and then we have to say, so where is the climax of this movie? And I think this movie has two climaxes, one that feels like a climax at the time, and then the movie keeps going and reveals what the second climax actually is. Uh, Andy, do you want to identify one of these two things? Well, I mean, I, I I think one of them is when the whole town comes out to encourage Pollyanna, right? I mean, that's I think that's the real climax. I think that feels like the real climax to me. What was your idea for the for the other? Well, because the and so here's why I say the first one. There's a first one because that climax is not the climax we're expecting. The whole movie has been moving towards the idea of this bazaar. Mm. Is this bazaar going to happen? Is this celebration going to happen? Aunt Polly has been actively working to make sure this bazaar does not happen, and Pollyanna has has behind the scenes. Uh, been influencing people in order to ensure it happens. It's mm -hmm. even her idea to get the church behind it because that's the only force that could possibly stand up to, to Aunt Polly. Mm -hmm. So it feels like this movie is setting up a showdown where Aunt Polly is going to, like, in some way come to the bazaar and ruin the bazaar. So it feels like, is the bazaar going to be a success? Is it going to happen? Are they going to raise enough money to, to set up another orphanage and free the town from Aunt Polly's control? Feels like the question that this movie is going to ask. Mm -hmm. It feels like a climax as it's happening. Except Aunt Polly never shows up to stop the bazaar. She just stays in. And so the thing that, that Andy points out as the real climax is Pollyanna to sneak back into the house climbs a tree falls out of the tree and 
really injures herself severely, uh, paralyzing both of her legs. And Aunt Polly real blames herself for it. If if Pollyanna right. hadn't had to sneak out to go to the bazaar, she wouldn't have had to sneak back in. The question becomes now that now that Pollyanna's uh, been paralyzed and needs to have an operation in order to have any hope of regaining mobility, uh, is uh, the doctor says to Aunt Polly, you know, the problem isn't the surgery, although the surgery is by no means certain. The right. problem is her spirit. If her hope has been broken, mm-hmm. she's in despair. And if I have a patient who's in despair, their chances of recovery are significantly down. And the real question here is, will Poly- not will Pollyanna be able to walk again, but will Pollyanna refine, rejoin her hope? And I cried, Andy, when the whole oh, town, yeah. I, oh I saw it, knowing it would, <laughs> knowing it would come when the whole town came to, to cheer oh. up Pollyanna. It was, uh, I mean, it was amazing. That's the, you're right. And every relationship gets a button in that scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's, it is the real climax of this movie. But yeah. I, I think I can be forgiven for feeling at the time like we were moving towards the bizarre. So I want to point out that this movie doesn't give us a falling action. Pollyanna gets on the train with her aunt and they, and they leave. Mm. Uh, but it is it is worth pointing out that's where this movie ends, but it's not where the book ends. The book ends later. We see Pollyanna in rehab, uh, and she is relearning how to walk, and she says something along the lines of, I have a new thing to be glad about. I never really appreciated my legs until I thought I'd lost them. Oh, that's wow. how the the book ends with the idea letting us know that Pollyanna is going to make a recovery. And I want to point out that it is smart for the movie to end here where we don't know if she's going to walk again. How so? Well, because that's not what's important. I mean, look, it, is it important? It, it certainly will impact the rest of her life, but it's not the answer to the dramatic question of the movie. The important question that the movie's been asking in its third act is, will Pollyanna ever hope again? Mm-hmm. And we already know that she will. She'll get in that train. And she's she's smiling as she waves goodbye to a town full of people who came out to tell her they love her. Mm-hmm. And whether or not Pollyanna ever walks again or not, she is not going to be miserable for the rest of her life. Right. Her hope has been restored. She has people who love her. And that's not where the stakes are. And I don't I don't know if Walt was thinking this at the time, but I would like to imagine that he was. There are children in this world who cannot walk. And the right. idea that they sit around miserable all the time because of it and can't find joy is abhorrent. Yeah. So so Pollyanna's happiness can't rest on that. It can't rest on that and honor the experience of those children. And in this way, we, we sort of have both answers. If you want to believe that Pollyanna walks again, fine. If you don't and you see yourself in Pollyanna and say, Pollyanna is now just like me. Uh, she's not going to walk again, but she's not going to be unhappy. That's even better, Agreed. in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not wrong. This is okay. good. No, this. Is I like good. it when I'm not wrong. No, I mean I, the. <laughs> I mean, when she leaves on the train, you worry about her. Like, is she going to be okay? And then you realize she's going to be okay regardless of what happens to her. Yeah. So, what the next? Yeah. There. So there's this cute. There multiple themes in this piece um and i in no particular order um some that stuck out to me were um what the first was charity versus love so the idea of handing a jar to someone once a week as opposed to going into their bedroom and getting to know who they are right 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 Uh, or or it's attending or it's attending to not the real need right? right it's not right it's the physical need of sustenance as opposed to the emotional need of sustenance. And that's, right. and that's what Mrs. Snow really needs. Right. Um, the idea of a dictatorship versus a democracy. 
Um, we have mm-hmm. a, a a family, a, a person, one person who controls everybody's everything, um, from the sermons they hear to the jobs they have to the industry that comes to town. Uh, you know, there's an elected mayor, but he's pretty ineffectual because you know it's it's really just a so he's sort of a figurehead. I'm I happen to be reading um, Anna Karenina right now, mm-hmm. um, and I did draw a parallel to the way in which you know the nobles have co- have conflicts with the peasants that they 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 almost they you know the classism is so strong, um, and it really does feel like Aunt Polly has made herself a noble, and she views mm-hmm. everyone as as her serfs as her as her as her peasants. I I, th- I think that's right. Right. I mean, there's there's an obligation versus friendship. Uh, you know, Polly cares for people out of obligation. Again, that noblesse oblige idea. But Pollyanna takes time to really get to know someone and befriend them and care about them and maybe show them things in a new way. They haven't seen them before, right? With the, the, doctor has, things. the doctor has that great line where he says, haven't you learned that people hate that false charity of yours? Yes. Which, yes. which it, I, I, if there are any billionaires who listen to our podcast, keep giving your money. <laughs> But make, but but don't false charity. What he means by false charity is is she does charity to make herself feel important. She right. does charity uh, because she feels obligated to do it. But she isn't doing it because she's uh, moved by the the milk of human kindness. Right. Right. That's not that's not what she's offering them. And and he's really he's really saying like it, you know don't patronize, love them, give charity as an act of love, not don't right. charity. Right. And it's interesting that Polly is learning all of these lessons and whether, you know, in the very beginning of the movie, we don't like her and we, she becomes more likable, I think, as the movie goes on, because she is learning the lessons and she is yielding to what she's learning. I wonder if there's anything in the idea that our, our one, char- one female character, our protagonist is named Pollyanna, and our antagonist is named Aunt Polly, which is almost the reverse of Pollyanna, sure, right? Pollyanna, sure. uh, like right, so almost like a goofus and gallant sort of thing. Um, <laughs> For and, our highlights I, fans out there, <laughs> well, well, I, I mean, everybody knows about our our, our our once upon a highlights issue podcast <laughs> right. that we do. Right, we don't do that. Um, no, we do. No, we don't do that. Um, we're more cricket fans over here, but but. Uh, but the truth, the truth of the the truth of the matter is, I, I mean, they are indirect. They are they are directly foiling one another. Right. Uh, one person uh, does good, and one person dictates what is good. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. They, they are commenting on each other throughout. I don't know that the names are a part of it, but I would put money on that being true. Yeah, uh, I had entitlement versus gratitude. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, that's Mrs. Snow to a large degree. Yeah, yeah. When even when something is is really dire, I mean, we've, we've all as a country just gone through some really hard things. And um, I know when we were all on lockdown in our family, like I would always tell the kids, you know, there's something to be grateful for today. What what's the thing that we can be grateful for? And and I know some people call that like toxic positivity or whatever. Um, but I do think it's a good lesson for children and young people to learn how to make the best out of difficult situations and hardships and how to have fun. Um, and it's hard. It's a hard lesson. But I think, um, it, and we'll talk about that a little more when we get to Pollyanna's character. I do think there's a problem with Pollyanna's character, and maybe you do too, Larry. But um, another theme is uh, solitude versus community. Mm-hmm. Uh, Aunt Polly tends to do things solo. Mr. Pendergast tends to do things solo. Mrs. Snow is isolated. Uh, but there's obviously some great value in everyone coming together and doing their part. And you can see how people start. Now, I don't know if I can do that. And then all of a sudden, here's the bizarre, right? And they're right. all they're putting it on together. together. Right. And then they, fun- they are separately. And it's a super fun time. And I would be really remiss um, as somebody who is a armchair theologian um, to t- not to talk about this particular aspect of this movie, which I find really fascinating. There's the idea, and it's a Protestant idea, of, of God as absolute monarch versus God among us. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So this movie hits all of the notes of what's called the fundamentalist modernist controversy of 1910. Um, It was brewing in the 1910s. I have not read this book. I'm curious as to whether or not this book is addresses some of those issues. It echoes today in Christian circles. It was, I mean, it's been echoing ever since. The, I, the question is, is God a sovereign to be obeyed without question? Or is God an entity that we experience best in relationship to other people? I mean, I tend to lean toward the latter, right? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, our listeners may belong to a parish that has a, has a, um, has has a leader who is more fire and brimstone um, than than the reverend of this movie than the pastor of this movie ultimately ends up being. Mm-hmm. Um, but but you know I I think you're right that those two this movie is putting those two things side side by side and saying what what do people actually need from church and it outright says the people everyone hates their one day off a week mm-hmm. they all hate it and they look forward to going back to work because it is so joyless to go to that particular church. Right. And and Polly's idea is people need to behave. And if they don't hear this message, they're not going to behave. And maybe if they hear this message, they'll behave until, oh, I don't know, Tuesday or Wednesday. Right. Right. So right. We've got we'll, to hammer we'll make it through on, the week. Yeah, we've right. got to hammer them on Sunday so that they can, you know, they can behave. Um, and it's it's just fascinating that whole that whole bit with Malden and the church and how that's all working and how everybody's obligated to be there. And of course, it's a small town. So if you're not there, people are going to notice. And then you've got these orphans that are all dressed up to go there. I mean, it is, it's really re- interesting to me. Um, I, there's a lot, there's a lot of subtext there. And I'm, I'm just, um, yeah. I'm just curious about it. Yeah. Oh, for for sure. Um, yeah. You want to get into character now? Let's get into characters. Yeah, I think I've I've uh, exhausted the themes, but there are tons of them. I mean, it's tons. Just, it's just there's so much here to mine. Um, there are lots, lots and lots of great character actors in this movie. Um, I wish we had time to go through all of them individually. I know. I know. We picked the best so ones on the list, I, but I really I really tried. Um, Pollyanna, of course, Haley Mills. A friend of mine, Larry, likes to call people like Pollyanna um, swizzle sticks. Ooh, um, that doesn't some- sound good. No, no, no. It's a good thing. It's somebody okay. whose very presence sort of stirs things up. So you'll have a party. Oh, okay. I mean, I she calls me a swizzle stick. Um, okay. She's like, you know, there are people that are just kind of sitting around and nobody knows what to do. And then you show up and you're like, oh, hey, you should know this person because of this and that. And you know this. And oh, you two have this in common. And, you know, so that's um, I. Yeah. So and I, I see Pollyanna in that way, too, where she shows up and she sort of takes takes it in. But then she starts giving it out slowly, too. Yes. Just giving out different information. Um. Everyone feels sorry for her at first, it seems. I don't think they feel sorry enough for her at the beginning, honestly. The first person she meets when she gets off the train says, you're very lucky that you didn't end up in the orphanage. Your Aunt Polly has done great charity by taking you in. Right, right, right. So maybe not, sorry, maybe I misspoke, but like she, they feel obligated toward her in a way. They're not happy that she's come. That's, no. that's that's ultimately, I think, what we're saying, that 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 her pr- arrival in this town is seen as a burden. Right. Um, an, un- an unwanted obligation to a town that is already suffering under too much obligation. Right. We're replete with obligation. Correct. Yeah. And it isn't about anything she's done. It's it's just she's one more person who's come to town. Uh, for me, uh, the issue I have with. Look. I love Pollyanna, and I think I think Haley Mills does a great job playing her. Um, if I was rewriting this, you know, in between writing my horror horror movies, in which uh, <laughs> anyway, um, but but if I was writing this, the thing that I really feel is missing from Pollyanna is how much she's working to put a positive spin on things, uh, and this movie doesn't really go to this place. But she's just been orphaned. 
Her mother and father are gone, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't know if they went at the same time or if mom mom went early and father just recently left, which is which is how I always saw it. Mm-hmm. But she's suddenly alone in the room and she's tr- in, in the world and she's trying to put a happy spin and a brave face on it. And I think throughout the movie, um, what I think what people uh, who don't like Pollyanna complain about is that it seems effortless for her to be this positive throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was particularly moved by the one scene where she was with Mrs. Snow. Mrs. Snow is the woman who insists that she's dying as kind of like, uh, and she's kind of faking it a little bit. Um, I mean, we can see that she says she's bedridden, but we watch her get out of bed and set up decorations when no one's around. Right. Um, so, so there's a scene in which Pollyanna shows up and, and uh, Mrs. Snow is there with, the mortician who's going to ultimately put her to rest in a coffin uh, and is picking out like the satin that she's going to rest on and what the handles are going to look like. And Pollyanna recognizes that what Mrs. Snow is doing in this moment isn't so much preparing for death as fetishizing it, right? Like she's she's really right. taking joy in the wrong thing. And she's taking too much joy in imagining her funeral and imagining her passing. And that is one of my favorite scenes in the movie because I feel like the subtext of it, and maybe it, maybe it would be better if it was a little bit text, is I just watched someone die. Mm-hmm. I watched someone fight to live with every ounce of strength he had. And I'm looking at you and you're surrendering to it. You're mm-hmm. looking forward to it. You're mm-hmm. not really dying. It's it's going to be some time from now. And it's not fair that he's gone and you're here. Mm-hmm. But but you like he wants to be where you are and you want to be where he is and it's not fair and I want you to want to live. I feel like I feel like that's what's happening in that scene when she says I'm never going to come see you again. It's about that. And right. it isn't explicitly about her recent loss. But I think I, th- I think it is. It I think is. it is. And and maybe if I was doing a subtle rewrite of this, I would not change enough to get credit on this script. That's what I would work out is the little glimpses where we see that Pollyanna's positivity is a reaction to her grief. She's well, trying. Yeah. I mean, Polly demands that Pollyanna not talk about her father, right? And and I think oh. that was sort of the I think that's sort of the mid-century sensibility about trauma is we just act like it didn't happen. Except Polly, Aunt Polly is full of garbage. Because you know who talks about her father all the time? Is Aunt Polly talks about her father all the time. She says to the Reverend, first time we see her talking to the Reverend, she says, you know what my father used to say. The mm-hmm. thing she doesn't like about Pollyanna is that Pollyanna talks about her father too much, but really the thing she doesn't like about Pollyanna is the thing Aunt Polly does all the time. Well, and she talks about, I mean, the, again, this movie, her I think- Her father's heritage, her father's legacy. Yeah, My and father this, built that house. And this and this movie is about classism in a lot mm-hmm. of ways, too, because here, we don't want to hear about your father. We only want to hear about mine, <laughs> right? Because your father didn't matter and- your father oh. made my sister poor, right? Well, I think that's really it. Aunt Polly is mad at at mm-hmm. Pollyanna's father for taking taking her sister away from right. her. Um, but but, it, but it, it's one of those things that I love because the things that generally we don't like about other people are very often the things we know that are wrong with us, and oh, seeing it in some, <laughs> and seeing it in somebody else. Like is a reminder of our own flaws. And Mm -hmm. I I think this is the movie never tells us exactly why Aunt Polly and the doctor broke up when they were young. Mm -hmm. I have no doubt it was all about Aunt Polly's father's approval. Oh, sure. And and who they who they were gonna be, and that he was the force that came between them. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And that way, doesn't it? It I the movie doesn't tell us. The movie doesn't tell us. Yeah. So back to back to Pollyanna just real quickly. Um there's this sort of trope about, um, you know, when the sheriff comes to town, the idea is that the whole town's out to break them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but 
And they're very critical of her, but she doesn't, like you said, she doesn't really take that on. And she's still pretty sanguine, right? Um, But Pollyanna does lose hope when she's broken her legs. She does. She does. Yeah. Well, because, because I mean, but I actually like, I mean, I don't like that she breaks her leg and I don't (laughs) like that she, I don't like she, that she loses hope. But I, but I think that we can't, we can't expect human beings who, who bring light into our lives to never have moments of darkness. Well, I almost feel like she has, is feeling the feelings of her dad being in the bed of, you know, all the things that we don't know, but it's like, oh, this is my lot now. You know, that everything I've tried is for naught. Sure, and, I, but and, who yeah. would respond that way initially? Oh, absolutely. To this? And I think that's what makes this movie actually real. I think if she'd been like, oh, I broke my leg, so, um, you know, things will be fine. I think we would have hated it. So I'm really glad that choice was made. I think I think the other thing it goes to is the idea of charity. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's specifically when she gives the flowers to that one gentleman and uh, she says, don't think of it as charity. Think of it as a gift from one friend to another. If Pollyanna doesn't have a dark moment in this movie where she needs hope, then all of the hope she gave other people was charity. It was something right. it was it was it was or or the or the not real charity, right? She's something she gives that she has in abundance. It doesn't cost her anything to give her hope. It doesn't it doesn't really mean anything. But the fact that there comes a moment where she needs it from them Mm-hmm. Where she needs them to be the Pollyannas to 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 her, uh, means that what she was giving was really friendship. It's not one sided. Right. It's not one sided like Aunt Polly's charity is. There's nothing you can do for Aunt Polly. Mm-hmm. Pollyanna needs you too. She gives, but she'll also receive. Yeah. Um, everyone needs charity of some form at some point. Right. Right. Let's talk about Polly Harrington, played by Jane Wyman. Um, the word that keeps coming up to me for her is just self-righteous. And for me, it's for me, it's loneliness, which mm. I think uh, I think is interesting. I think I think we're both right. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm struck by how she has society, but no real friends. Uh, she right. reminds me very much of Ebenezer Scrooge in A Christmas Carol. Not mm. the miserly part, because she's not miserly, but in the sense that she has closed her heart to love and true fellowship, mm. right? Um, th- there's no celebrating at Aunt Polly's house. Uh, she's She is at the point where she doesn't, she tells her maid that you can't go out with this boy anymore because cause I don't want to see it. Because I right? want you to be as miserable as I am. <laughs> Misery loves company, right? That's that, right, that's, right. That's where that phrase comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, but but ultimately, it comes because she's alone. And and when Pollyanna comes in, she puts Pollyanna as far away from her as she possibly can because she thinks she's happy being alone. She doesn't recognize how miserable she is. Well, but I think and, you're also right that she's self-righteous. Well, it's interesting. She's sitting at, at church, right? And she's sitting next to Parley Anna and she tells her, don't stare at the orphans, which is right. ironic because Pollyanna's an orphan herself. But then also Polly's a bit of an orphan too, because her father's gone, right? I mean, so the fact that she can't have any love or compassion for the same kids she's providing an orphanage for... I mean, I think that's. I, I think it's, you're it's right. telling. It's really telling. Also, Aunt I, Polly has not provided a social setting for Pollyanna to have other kids in her life. No, right? We never not. see her like trying to set her up with the neighbor children of affluence and wealth. It's just or po- school she expects or, yeah, or any sort of thing. It's Pollyanna. You're expected to be alone. I'm alone. You're alone. We'll eat dinner together, then go back to our separate lonely locations on opposite sides of the house. Mm-hmm. Because that's what life is. Life is lonely. Right. Uh, (laughs) So um, she does go from inviting. I think it's interesting. We see her inviting her inner circle into her home. uh, The ones, the movers and shakers of town to make sure that, you know, they all do her bidding. And she provides them lunch. So that's going to, you know, grease the Mm -hmm. skids there. uh, To inviting the entire town into her home. 
actually the entire town shows up and she opens the doors. Right. Uh, and she keeps saying, Nancy, Nancy, open the door. Right. And so I, I think that's, that's a really interesting way of kind of showing bookending her arc. I have one quibble with mm-hmm. the, the display of Polly Harrington, uh-huh. uh, which is I have trouble believing that she and the doctor were ever in love seeing her as she is now. She is so unlovable. And it isn't until the very end of the movie. Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't like when he comes back and he's like, I've missed you these last five years. They've been wasted years. I want you back. I, I don't know that I feel the same way that he feels. I don't know that I love her the way that he loves her. No, I, but I think he, gives us a nod that there's something redeemable about her. We we just haven't seen it. And maybe she was different when she was younger. Don't really yeah. know. I, I guess I'd like to see a little a few more hints of it. There are a couple, but mm-hmm. but more. But more. Sure. Uh the maids, we have Nancy, Angelica, and Tilly. Uh mm-hmm. Nancy Olson, who we've seen in lots of Disney movies. Uh Mary Grace Canfield and Rita Shaw, who's also in Mary Poppins. Um they I think they're kind of revolutionaries in a way. They're kind of um, quiet about it, but they take on the establishment in their own way. I mean, I, th- I think that they do. Uh, I, I, th- I think they all recognize what, what uh, Polly doesn't, which is that Polly is a miserable person. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they are dur- like, they, are, they know her better than she knows herself. And I think right. that consistently is true, that they have a greater sense of what the problem in this town is. They don't have the solution, but, but they know that there's a problem that, that Polly isn't facing, that Polly is directly causing. Well, I you said earlier that, that there are characters that don't know they're unhappy, and, and Polly Harrington is one of those characters for sure. But the maids all know that know that they are, and they know that she is. Right. There's that one point when the doctor comes t- comes back, and they're like, "Wow, she doesn't even care that he's back at all." We that's the one point where they're wrong because when mm-hmm. she goes up to the room, we see her take her hair down and imagine who she used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but but uh, yeah, they're not her friends, and they're the people who live with her, right? Doctor, they're the yeah. people who know her best. Yeah, Doctor Children. Uh, or Chilton, Chilton, is that right? I think it's Chilton. Okay, um, Edmund, um, played by Richard Egan. Uh, he went again. My notes here are the same as yours, Larry. He wants to seem to. He seems to want to resurrect something with Polly, but why? <laughs> I don't know why. And uh, it, I didn't feel the sparks between them in this Mm-mm. movie. Mm-mm. Um, I, I just didn't feel it. Uh, and it may be because of movie making at the time that there are certain codes of behavior that you can't have uh, between between people. There are so many more sparks uh, in, for example, the parent trap between between the two parents. Oh, sure. Uh, when when they're alone and like when they forget themselves, and that that I think that I think is what is missing here. The doctor mm. and Aunt Polly never have a moment where they forget themselves and suddenly realize how close they are. They're always very guarded. Like they, they, they're guarded. He expresses emotion towards her, but it's a rehearsed thing that he was planning on saying to her. None, none of it is ever, none of it ever gets to the place where their masks are down, and we see, we see like there's an actual spark between them. That yeah, would, that would if, be another change I'd make. If there is a casting problem in this movie, I think those two just don't have a lot of chemistry. Yeah, it's just not there. Yeah. Here's the most damning thing. I never want to see them kiss. And and longtime <laughs> listeners of the podcast know I almost always want to see them kiss. I I yeah. like lo- I like the kissing that comes out of being in love. I love it. Yep. So. Yep. Agree. Um and they don't kiss in this movie, so No. And, and, um, I'm, and I'm not upset about it. Whoops. <laughs> Okay, so Mayor Carl Warren, played by Donald Crisp, who I love as a character actor. You can look look into his life and and legacy um, in the movies. Um, He's really the driving force behind getting the town of Harrington to become more of a democracy. He's the one um, that has experiences the conflict, I think, and voices it. I don't understand how he was elected mayor. 
Not because he's not a good leader. It just feels like a plot hole to me. If Aunt Polly has so much control over the town, how did the town elect this person who stands up to her to be the mayor? Because the people want something different. Right? right, but then she doesn't have that much control. That, that, that's what I'm saying. Like, like, like if, they're quiet about it. They're, they're insurgents, right? They're sort of quiet about their, um, their revolution. I mean, they're all sort of plotting against her. I think I would make him not the mayor. I don't think it changes much in the movie. It's just, it's just, did she run someone against him and lose? How did she respond to that? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, there are questions that I have about this process. Did he only recently turn against her? Which would raise the question, what caused that? Is the orphanage the thing? Is the Because mm. although he says, I've been telling you for years and years and years the or- orphanage pipes were going to burst and none of you believed me. Is that the last straw that finally turns her, him against her? Um, mm, maybe maybe it is and I missed it. Maybe it is and I missed it. But but he's a good performer. It's it's just a little bit of story logic that I that I struggle against. Works. Um, I arguably the best performance of this film, I think, comes from Carl Malden in in uh, Reverend Ford. Oh, um, so good. I think the hilarious sermon death comes unexpectedly is so great because, you know, here he is. He's looking heavenward. He looks downward meditatively. And then he screams, death comes unexpectedly. <laughs> and this- everybody in there wishes they were dead. <laughs> um. This, I mean, yes, I, 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 I understand why you're laughing about it because objectively it is funny. Uh, but I tried to put myself into the headspace of Polly, recently orphaned Pollyanna. Oh yeah, and what it's like to hear that message from from oh, the, the minister, right? So gross, yeah. Because because the truth of the matter is, he is preaching on the fact that everyone will has probably. And if not, will experience trauma. That's what his sermon is. His mm-hmm. sermon is the the man con- the 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 story of life is to experience trauma. You better be good because when trauma hits, like that's when you'll be judged. When you're at your lowest, that's when mm-hmm. you'll be judged. And, and what does that do to Pollyanna, who wonders about like maybe how her father is doing in heaven? Was he prepared? He was a minister, but that doesn't mean he was prepared. Um, like. Like how how does she feel, and and it and and that was hard for me. It, it, yeah, it made I me text I you. Yeah, I don't moment. think I don't think this movie really cares much about how Pollyanna feels about and her father's death or or her trauma at all. Um, it's it's I, one of the most important relationships in the movie. She is her father's daughter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She talks about him all the time, mm-hmm. and it doesn't seem like she's in mourning, but she must be. She, she must the, be. She is the reason why uh, she is the way she, he is the reason why she is the way she is. Yeah. I love, I love the scene between her and the reverend where she, she talks about the glad texts. And mm-hmm. when she leaves, he suddenly tears up the speech he was about to, to write to deliver Mm -hmm. and he says what have i done Mm -hmm. and he realizes he's when he gives when he gives the the final sermon about glad texts and how Mm -hmm. that's what he's going to be doing for the next 16 years Mm -hmm. what a great monologue Mm -hmm. and it's real and it's Mm -hmm. and it's motivated by the fact that he realizes he hasn't been loving them which is what he's supposed or to that, do. And that he's not equal to them either. I mean, there's an interesting positioning of him, I think, in the movie uh, mm-hmm. that plays to the theme. Like in this type of church building, which is an actual church building, um, congregants are seated down, right? And you look up, st- almost straight up, to see the pastor. And so one could tend to equate the words being delivered as being delivered from God on high Mm -hmm. rather than a man. Right. And so when Ford shifts and he starts talking to the people, he does so on their level. Yes. He comes, goes right. He comes all the way down. Right. And he's, he's on every, he's an equal now. And when Pollyanna meets him in the field, she's actually slightly elevated above him. Not much, but she's looking sl- slightly down at him. And I thought that was an interesting, those are interesting choices. 
another interesting thing about this character is is a theme we haven't talked about, which is the idea that neutrality can be a lie. He says mm. he says to them he doesn't want to weigh in on this matter, but about Aunt Polly and the bazaar, he doesn't want to take sides. And the mayor says, by being silent, you're taking her side. You mm. don't. You, your silence speaks yep. volumes. Yep. And I think when you're in a position uh, of authority. Silence does speak speak volumes. He's not above this fray. No matter what he does, he's weighing in. Yep. I I, I love that that's in this movie because it's oh, true. It's so great. It's so great. And it's absolutely true. Um, Gosh. Okay. We could talk about that for a really long time, but let's press on. Um, Mrs. Snow and Agnes Moorhead, who I just absolutely adore. Who um, I will always see as Endora, I think. <laughs> I know, we always see her as from And I witch. loved her as Endora, and I love her in this. Oh, she's so great. Um, um, she goes from being a bit of a hypochondriac to being someone who really actively helps Pollyanna get her dream of a doll, and then mm -hmm. helps her find her hope. But what's really great about her helping her find the doll, she does it behind the scenes mm -hmm. and never takes credit for it. Yeah. Pollyanna never knows she gets that doll because Mrs. Snow made it happen. And that that for me is is like, isn't that the best form of charity? Yes. It's the it's the most selfless way of loving someone. Mm -hmm. And and I will it's confess, creating magic you know, for them. Right. It's creating magic for a child. One of one of my one of my big flaws is I always like the credit for the good things I do. My motivations are never are never are very yeah, I'm not selfless. I, I wish it's something to work on. I'm a work in progress, but, but I love that for her. Progress. And mm -hmm. I love how I love how her at the end of this, she pretends to a wickedness that we now know is no longer true. When she yells at everybody and is like, "Oh, you know, you would think you'd never seen someone who sick get better again. You're all such a mm -hmm. bunch of babies." Like. But and then when so she like cheers up Pollyanna a little bit, and then when Pollyanna turns around, we see that 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 act of like pretend meanness was done for Pollyanna's benefit, and that maybe her heart is breaking more than anyone else. This woman who pretended to be bedridden mm -hmm. now sees a young girl stuck in a bed for the rest of her life, yep. and and. I, well, well, it's and, all in the performance. It's well, all there. Agnes Moorhead being the actor she is, you see it in her face. Uh, within, I mean, you, you, we, yeah, she's brilliant. Great performance. It's so good. I cried. Oh, yeah. I sobbed through that whole last scene. No. Sob, sob, sob. <laughs> multiple times. I shed a few tears myself. Uh, Jimmy Bean, Kevin Corcoran, who just come out, had two movies come out that year. Uh, one was Toby Tyler, which I don't think we've done yet. No. Um, but uh, I think it's interesting. He really teaches Pollyanna what it's really like to be an orphan uh, to, in a way. Except in some ways he's freer than she is. Yeah, he I mean, definitely is a uh, he's he brings a romanticism to the state of, of he's a Tom he, Sawyer type. He's Huck, Tom, Finn. Huck Finn. I just yeah. And he brings his own theology to the situation, too. Right. God creates things like. Trees for people to climb to enjoy. Like if I wasn't supposed to climb it, God wouldn't have put it here. I mean, I think it's really. Um, I think he's he's a hoot. Yeah, I I I think so too. Um, you know, I I I wonder about his age and relationship to Pollyanna. He mm -hmm. feels younger to me. Same, yeah. Um, and I, I wonder if he represents in some in some way the idea that you know what Pollyanna needs is is younger siblings more mm. more so than more the more so than maybe she needs friends or um, siblings. Period. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, um, or not that siblings can't be your friends, but but it it does almost feel like a brother sisterly bond. I I mm -hmm. think we're supposed to believe he has a crush on her. It doesn't read that way to me. I think it's filmed that way, but the relationship as performed feels more brother-sister to me. So then there's Mr. Pendergast, um, Adolf Menjou. It was his last role, capping a film career that started in 1914. Um, dozens of movies. Um, it, he's who Polly's going to be if she doesn't open her heart up to some sort of love. 
Well, that's interesting that you make that connection. I, I didn't make it, but I, I see it. You want to talk more about that? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, he's got all this stuff. He's in this nice house. The kids all have this thing about him and, you know, nobody wants to work for him. Right. I'm sure mm-hmm. he's got money because he's got a pretty big space, but he kind of keeps this. He kind of is fearful of connection. It feels like mm-hmm. keeps himself isolated. And I think the more isolated you become, the more difficult it is to overcome that. I, I think the one big difference between him and Aunt Polly is he feels no obligation to anyone else. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, like he's that that house he's in is in is a prison. And mm-hmm. I don't know that we ever see him outside that house till till he changes uh towards the end of end of the movie. Uh I so I think the sense I think the sense in which he's like Polly is he's built a cage around himself. Um, yeah, but, I mean, but think about the bazaar, right? If the, everybody in the bazaars, what does she do? She locks herself in her yeah, house. Yeah, no, I think I think that's right. I think that's right. I think that's so, true. Yeah, and of course, he ends up sharing his life and home with Jimmy, and you know, they both they both need each other. And uh, what a what a neat thing that is a neat thing. I like yeah, that too. I do too. All right, pitch time. Wow. What do, what do we think? <laughs> so so it sounds to me like Pollyanna has never been remade or or have I have I missed that in the key facts? Well, they, they've I, never touched it. I think Pollyanna has been remade dozens of times in but lots not as, of different movies. You know, I mean, think about that Western setup with something weird about a high school. And here's a girl that comes to set things right. Right. I mean, I it's Heather's. It's uh, gosh, I can think, you know. There's dozens something, of movies yeah clueless so, so, but if we're if we're actually using the name brand pollyanna i guess um i i there's a two things that i would want to change about it this isn't this is like a soft pitch for me mm-hmm. which was one that i would love to see a more diverse town in pollyanna uh yeah I, I would, oh for sure you know, this is an entirely Caucasian town. The the issues are class, but but there are significantly more divisions in in the world than Pollyanna uh, leads us to believe. I would love to see Pollyanna bridging some of those those divisions as well, and and really integrating a larger, more diverse community. Uh, but I also wouldn't mind seeing Pollyanna as a musical. I think I think oh wow, it, I think in a movie. That, that this, which doesn't have much action in it, it's kind of ca- calling a lot of people sitting and talking. I feel like the scene where Polly looks in the mirror could be a song. I think Mrs. Snow mm. could have an amazing song about how how she makes everybody miserable, um, like what jelly she wants. It could be just a song about how she never has the right jelly, no matter what it is. Um, right. I right. think I think. You know, I think what I want is a stage musical of this. And what I want to have happen in the stage musical is I want the prisms to come down on the theater. And I want the lights to make rainbows over the entire audience. I think that's what I want. That's my pitch. I love that. I thought, well, I thought it would be interesting to do. First, I I, I don't have much, Larry. No, it's Um, okay. I I kept thinking, oh, it'd be a great live action Pollyanna, you know, do it, redo it, but set her in kind of modern times. And then I started thinking, oh, that's pretty much every movie I can think of that involves any kind of female protagonist uh, who is the new sheriff in town. So maybe that's been done a lot. It just occurred to me, Disney did remake Pollyanna. Oh? And we covered the movie. It's just set in the future. Xenon, girl of the 21st century. She goes down to Earth to live with her aunt. It's Pollyanna, but in space. You're not wrong. You're I right. know. I'm, I'm so not writing sorry. that paper either. People who are listening, looking for academic papers, Pollyanna, DuckTales, and Xenon. Do it. Do it. Compare the three of them. Enjoy. I give it to the world. <laughs> oh, I don't want to attend that conference. Okay. What movie are we tackling? Maybe I do. What movie are we tackling next week, Larry? We are tackling our Christmas episode, The Santa Claus. Oh, good. Okay. 
This right. is the original Santa Claus. It isn't the sequel, and it isn't um, the the new series that just came out on Disney Plus. We're looking for we're looking for the one that started it all. The, uh, the original. The all right. original. So uh, okay, well, friends, if you like what you're hearing, will you do us a favor and share this podcast with another Disney or classic movie fan? And please check out our Once Upon a Disney Facebook page. You can drop us a line in our mailbag at Once Upon a Disney Podcast at gmail.com. We're trying to figure out where we're going to land in social media, uh, but uh, we'll see. We'll see what emerges. But until next time, friends, we'll see you real soon. Sweat Miner and Polly. <laughs> <laughs>